the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And I'm very glad to be in the house with you on this Monday evening. It happens to be... February 11th, 2019. I know you know that, but I'm just saying it anyway. The 11th of February, 2019. We are two months into this new year. And 2019 is slated to be a very exciting year, a very challenging year, a very dubious year. Um, 2019 can be very good for you. Very, very, very good for you. If you are studious this year, if you're committed to focus, if you're committed to clarity, if you are committed to streamlining your life, if you are committed to emptying the garbage, if you are committed to integrity, the year 2019 can be a wonderful year of growth and maturity and productivity. And if you will, uh, leaning out fleshing out, breathing can be a wonderful year, a wonderful year, albeit it won't be without some struggles, some challenges and some pain because no pain, no gain. That's exactly right. Uh, But I do want to encourage you along those lines. Been working through the book of Ephesians with our church on Friday nights. And if you don't have a Friday night Bible study that uh, you are part of or You know, maybe Friday nights have not been something that you have targeted as a time for personal growth. Uh, I I would encourage you to either come out and join us on Friday nights or uh, tap into our live stream Friday nights. We start about eight o'clock, a nice end of the week activity where we try to divest ourselves of the week's challenges and difficulties and focus in on the word of God, its promises and um it's uh, patterns of life that are ordained by God for us, as Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God himself hath ordained from before the foundation of the world, that we should walk in them. So we're learning what it means to be sons and daughters of God, and we're learning what it means to walk in the hope of his calling, the hope of his calling and one of the observations I made to uh, to our to our study on Friday was that uh, you meet a lot of hopeless Christians, or at least they appear to be hopeless. They they appear to be without the hope of the gospel. They appear to be without the hope of the promises of the Word of God. And and what that looks like is a, a person somewhat despairing. Um, 
an individual that often is just kind of uh, meandering about, don't have any real um, optimism, because that's what the concept of hope is all about, being optimistic about the future, because the future is rooted in promises that God gives his people. So all believers at the core of their identity, which is a topic I want to talk a little bit more about today, at the core of your identity as a true believer in Christ, rooted and grounded in the Word of God and informed by the Bible, you should be a person of hope. No matter what your circumstances are, hope should be at the center of why you breathe, live, and have your mo- have your being every day. Um, you and I should be operating out of the promises of God. And so uh, what does a hopeless person uh, look like? How do they think? What are their attitudes? They're basically myopic, tunnel vision, short-sighted. They don't operate out of a large enough periphery to be able to enjoy options and opportunities and the exercising of a a diversity of gifts and um and resources. They're, they're just operating out of a very narrow, constricted, as I said, short-sighted uh, perspective and, and view, which can be extremely debilitating when you are, um, when you are in a place of hopelessness. <clears throat> By the way, that kind of hopelessness gives way often to bad behavior, bad choices, uh, bad relationships, uh, bad behavior, bad choices, bad relationships, and all of that can amount to a very, very, very dark and hopeless uh, life. The idea of the proverb is that the hope that is deferred brings great sorrow to the heart. And that makes sense to me, but the child of God ought not to be hopeless now. However, uh, you're going to have to cultivate that hope by cultivating your faith which also is a gift of God given to you. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. Faith and grace is a gift of God given to you so that you can walk with God, believing what God said in spite of not seeing everything that God has determined for you because God is your future and not you. God is your tomorrow. God is your next moment and not you. And therefore, the just shall live by faith, the just shall walk by faith, the just shall die in faith. And faith is the substance, if you will, of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So there's a correlation between your faith and your hope, your faith and your hope that absolutely requires cultivation. If not, then you can be distracted, hindered from your uh, from your purpose which is another topic we'll talk about today as well. But I'm talking to you right now, if you're on the line with me, if you are fascinated by the voice you're hearing, if you're a new listener, as some of you quite possibly are, my name is Jesse Gistin, happen to be the uh, host of the Monday edition of Lifeline, Tuesday through Friday, is the lauded Craig Roberts, who is the original host of Lifeline for many years hence, and would uh, hope to be for many years to come. I have uh, the greatest joy in the world of being able to talk with you for a couple of hours about the things of God and the things of life and the challenges we are facing. So as I opened up talking about the year 2019 for you and for me, uh, being a potentially good year, I I spoke about how important it was for 
you to understand in order for that to occur, you're going to have to put some sweat in, some effort in, some some uh, focus in, some commitment. That's right. Um, you're not going to have a harvest of anything that doesn't first require the cultivation of a ground that is a targeted goal. The cultivation of a targeted goal, cultivating that ground, breaking up the follow ground, furrowing the ground, removing the rocks, removing the weeds, removing every impediment that would hinder the good process of seed sown. You're not going to have a harvest uh, of any uh, significant and substantial meaning or increase or productivity where you and I are not willing to do the hard work the precursor, the requisite work of preparing the soil for the good seeds so that in the harvest we can get maximum output from our labors. And that's really what hope is. You want to meet a person who lives by faith and walks in hope? Meet the farmer who has to sow the seed for the wheat and the barley and and all of the different produces he or she or they um, have have, uh, gone into in terms of a field of occupation. They sow that seed and then they wait on God to bring forth the harvest and they're operating out of hope. But they would never have that hope. Listen to me now. If they never, ever cultivated the targeted ground with the specific seed that they had to sow in order for them to know at the end of the harvest, if and when God blesses that with rain and sunshine and all of the other essential elements between your labors and its outcome, God has to enter in. And bless it. But none's going to happen if seed isn't sown. So if you are um, aware of a, a kind of a prompting that's taking place by our discourse right now, if you're aware that what I'm saying has merit, then first of all, just go amen. And then secondly, say, you know what? I'm going to lean into what PJ is talking about today. I'm going to lean into the topic today in order for me to actually learn something that I might already know and have therefore affirmed or uh, uh, learn something that I didn't know and uh, and be ready to be even more prepared this year to tackle it with uh, with uh, with hope. It's what we're talking about in the year 2019. In our Friday men's Bible study, Saturday, rather, men's Bible study, I talked to our men about this as well, that uh, I want them to be intentional as well, uh, along as with me, to labor this year in sowing good seed in targeted areas of our life so that indeed, um, should God be pleased to do it, and God is a God that does not lie, fail, or change, we can look for a harvest in uh, in certain areas of our lives and some of the fundamental areas in which the men raised their hand and affirmed that the need to sow good seed was first and foremost in their heart, in their walk with God, in their mind. And they got it right. A mind that is simply a, 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 a an abandoned field, if you will, overgrown with weeds and, and, uh, and nettles and thorns can never, ever be the place of productivity, nor the working of God, for God does not work in a field that is abandoned. It has to be a cultivated field, a field owned by someone committed to a task. And your mind and and your heart is really Grand Central Station, sir. It's the place where if you are going to have an output in your life because of the kinetic energy that you employ in a particular task, this is called being intentional, you are going to have to cultivate within yourself the seed of honoring your mind, honoring your heart, 
and therefore sowing into your mind and your heart good things so that the outcome can be the consequence of having sown good seed. The other area that the men were speaking of, and I I totally get it, is in their relationship with their spouses. What a great place to be committed to sowing good seed. I think all of us can admit if we are married that we could do a better job with our spouses. We could do a better job with our kids and do a better job with uh, people we love and know within the close circles of our life. Would you agree? Again, just say amen and, uh, and, and, and pray that God would grant you the integrity. That's our theme at Grace this year, integrity. The integrity of the upright shall guide them, Proverbs 11, verse 3, part A. That's our theme this year, integrity. Pray that integrity will allow you to do what integrity biblically means, and that is to start something and finish it. That's biblical integrity from a larger redemptive framework on the part of who God is and how he made you and I. God has always been a laborer, always been a worker. God works, God labors, but God knows how to finish his work and enter into his rest and rejoice in what he labored in. This is the opening narrative paradigm framework of Genesis 2-1, and God finished all his works which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day, rejoicing in what he did, because God is a God of integrity. And what I would want you to be is a person of integrity. If you're a believer in Christ, you want to be a man or a woman or a family or a church of integrity, profound integrity, rejoicing in your labors, because not only did you start what you said you were going to start, but you continued, persevered, stayed focused, were committed, disciplined, and, uh, and finished the work. You heard me share integrity last week uh, as I dealt with it acronistically, uh, and I'll do that again today if time allows. But I am wanting to encourage everyone listening to me who calls themselves a believer in Christ to be intentional this year. Don't be just wandering about. Have a goal, a prayed-for goal, an affirmed goal, a spirit-filled goal. And ask God to help you keep that goal because he's calling you to fruitfulness and productivity. He's calling you to bear witness to who he is in your life. He's calling your family to that. He's calling your church to that, Pastor. He's calling you to be a man of integrity, a woman of integrity, a couple of integrity, a family of integrity, a church of integrity for the true and the living God. And by way of that, integrity of the church— So I'm going to spill over after the break into a little bit of politics, uh, basically to share with you what I frequently am saying to people that I I care about around politics. And that is the, the Christian needs to be very, very, very careful that to whatever degree you feel compelled to be involved in politics, never allow politics to be your identity. That's completely counterproductive when it comes to the kingdom of God. Don't let politics shape your identity, tell you who you are, become the thing that that fundamentally uh, guides the course of your life. Because politics is a strange bedfellow that intrinsically operates out of conflicting systems. It is dialectical in its nature, and it will take anyone that wants to be deceived by it down a path that does not ultimately glorify God. You can challenge me on that proposition all you want to. A couple months ago, uh, Judge Kavanaugh was uh, up 
on allegations of uh, of uh, sexual misconduct with a young lady, Miss Ford. And you guys know we talked about that. And I warned about the need for us to have the level of objectivity and biblical principles around uh, uh, the plausibility of that having occurred simply because of the precedent of men all over uh, the world historically as a rule. And uh, power that is not operated by the grace of God is corrupt through and through. You guys ought to be aware of that kind of dynamic. And I don't mean you have to be working for a, a, a Fortune 500 company. I'm just saying that if you have the ability to be powerful over a handful of people and you're not operating out of the restraining hand of grace by God, it is very common for sexual prowess to cross the lines and, and uh, take advantage of weaker people and vulnerable people. Well, Today, we've got a major scandal going on in Virginia with the trifecta of uh, the governor and a lieutenant governor and an attorney general. All three of those fellows are in trouble. One of them's a black man. And we'll come back and talk about it because it's the same story going all the way up to the president. Same story. And I want to share with you why you have to be careful that as the proverbial saying goes, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. What Christians need to be careful about this goose And that gander. By the way, you better look it up before I get back. What is a gander? (laughs) This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'm I'm ready to talk. You got some questions, got some issues, got some comments, observations. I'll be pouring out stuff for the next two hours so we can learn, be taught how to walk in this world circumspect and be wise toward those that are without and not get trapped by somebody else's agenda but God's and remain, as the Scripture says, separated, uh, insulated, but not isolated in the midst of this crazy, crazy, crazy world. You're listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline. The number is one triple eight. Three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We are back. The time is five twenty six on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Time is ticking away. Tick tick tick. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'm talking about hope in the year two thousand and nineteen which will require for you and I discipline, focus, commitment, discernment, labor, tenacity, perseverance, sowing good seed and waiting for the harvest at the end of the year, the Lord willing. Let me share with you a word around what I believe is a a proper and necessary view for us as adult believers, and particularly those of us who have children or children's children. Uh, What an important principle it is for you and I to make sure that our children and our children's children and our children's children's children have the legacy of the grace of God in Christ uh, and a deep, rich uh, legacy of biblical truth, as it were, uh, in their memory. Uh, how important it is. Psalm 87, Psalm 78, rather, verses 1 through verse 7 puts it this way. Give ear, O my people. To my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. So the man speaking is saying, I'm going to share with you what my father shared with me. We will not hide them from their children. 
Notice what he says. We're not going to take what we learned about God from our fathers. That was right, by the way. And then not share it with our children. We will not hide them from our children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works. There's a triad. We're going to show our children the praiseworthy nature and character of the true and the living God and his strength, that is, his redemptive power in calling us out of darkness into his marvelous light and then keeping us every day by his grace. And then it says, and the wonderful works that he has done. The term wonderful works totally encompasses all that God is, all that God has done, and all that God will do with his people in this world until he returns again. He says, for he has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he hath commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Fathers, are you committed to the word of God being known and understood by your children in a deep, deep way of both uh, proclamation and pattern of life? That is your own life. He says that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare, watch this, them to their own children. In other words, when you sow a good seed that has a good harvest, it will be replicated by those into whose hearts you have sown those seeds. This is what God promises. Now watch, that they might set their hope, that's what we're talking about, in God and not forget the works of God and to keep his commandments and not be as their fathers who forgot God. And I, I'm here to tell you, that's kind of where we are today. I'm sorry. That's, I kind of see us in a stage where we are forgetting God, and we might be able to put some of that on our forefathers who have forgot God. Because if you start a pattern of forgetting God, it's going to replicate itself. You forget God, the children are going to forget God. I can tell you that now. And then the children's children are going to forget God, and you're going to end up being a people without hope. We don't want to be that. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to be a people of hope. I wish I could find the statistics. I I inadvertently downloaded uh, some stats concerning California. I may still have it online as I'm talking with you uh, and bring it up. California is in a mess. I didn't I didn't have any idea what I was doing when I was uh, kind of scrolling through uh, and then I looked at the stats. I don't know if I, I did it intentionally or whether or not it came to me some other way. But I have the information concerning the stand of California in our um, economy, in our education, in our uh, public policies with regards to. Yeah, here it is in front of me now. It's amazing. An overview of California. Let me make a few observations. I'm going to get back to uh, why it's important for you and I to recognize that in politics, you got to keep your distance. I don't care how important it seems to ring in your ears. Got to be careful. You've just got to be careful, particularly if you're a believer. Your politics is in heaven from whence your Lord is, and he is coming again to straighten out all of this crazy down here. So don't get, don't get contaminated with politics down here. You'll look around, and it'll be thrown right back in your face. An overview of California. Uh, here's the square miles of California. If you didn't know this, California constitutes 163 million miles. 163 
695 square miles. I'm sorry, 163,695 square miles. That's quite a bit of territory. Not as much as Texas. No, Texas is its own country, but that's a lot. Now watch this. With the 163,695, almost 600, almost 164,000 square miles, our GDP, gross domestic product, is somewhere around $2.6 billion. This is a lot of money. Our, uh, our, our GDP is $2 billion, $622,731 billion. Two billion, almost two and over two and a half billion dollars is what we have to spend money on for our uh, for our sustenance. College education, forty one percent, forty one percent of our budget is to college education. Now watch this. That's huge. That means somebody's getting a lot of money in the world of our colleges, and I know it's not our students. Here's something else. Our population, and I used to think it was somewhere around 32 million. We are at 39 million, almost 40 million people in California. Now, here's the weird thing. The median income for Californians, particularly in the area of Sacramento, is only 20 Nine thousand dollars. Something's wrong with this picture. Here we are. We're supposed to be uh, uh, the the most prominent, the most high cost living state in the nation. One of the highest cost living states in the nation. And when we look at the median income in Sacramento, it's twenty nine, almost thirty thousand dollars. And I'm pretty sure the Bay Area, except for Silicon Valley, is not a whole lot more. And it's no secret, is it, that we can barely live in California, particularly in the Bay Area, for more, for less than $50,000. And some of you would say, Pastor, you better bump that up to seventy-five, And I would agree. So what does that mean? And there are many, many more details about California that become problematic when you begin to look at it. There's a lot going on in California that is extremely, extremely uh, disconcerting when, it, when we look at the politics, when we look at the numbers, when we see 39 million people, almost 40 million people in California, fastest growing state in the nation, uh, one of the highest cost uh, states to live in, and a good bulk of that money is going to colleges. And, and yet the outcome of our uh, collegiate education, according to our stats, is that we are way down on the list of performance from uh, uh, elementary, high school, and even college. So it looks like we've got some real problems. Yeah, we do. We've got some real problems. But if you're a believer in Christ, you have to take those problems and be aware of them. And then go, what, what, what am I going to do about them, particularly if they are in the bullseye of the radar of your life? If you are presently a high school student listening to me, you are blessed. If you're a young college student listening to me, you are very blessed. Uh, if you're a young adult or an adult with children about to go to college and you, are, you have the habit, the good habit of listening to, the, uh, to, to Lifeline Monday through Friday, and particularly Mondays, you are blessed because we will touch on a number of salient things that are important for your life. And so uh, concerning where we are in California, we have to be diligent. We have to be focused. We have to be committed. Uh, I tell people all the time who want to come to California for all of the kind of giddy, uh, glittering, uh, uh, alluring attractions. I say, you better be a person that's ready to hustle 
because uh, California will chew you up and spit you out if you're lazy. It'll chew you up and spit you out. <laughs> Sacramento is not giving you money for free easy. I'm here to tell you. It's just not doing it. But anyhow, what was I saying earlier about the Virginia trifactor? Is that we've got uh we've got the 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 leading men in in that in that state, the leading men who are in trouble on a um on a political level, the leading men, the the governor, the uh, attorney general, and uh, and the and their um their um the second person. You have your governor, you have your attorney general, and then you have your lieutenant governor, all in scandals. Now the governor and attorney general are Caucasian men that are in a scandal around. I, I think some fairly innocuous, but. Given the political climate that we're in today, where, you know, we're not tolerating any kind of discrimination or racism, these two uh, Caucasian men that are not super old, but old enough to know what went on in the 60s and 70s, were, I guess, caught uh, wearing black faces, black faces, kind of clowning black folks, maybe uh, 20, 30 years ago, if that's, if that's the case, if our facts are right, and they're pretty right. I'm just giving you a general overview. They're wearing blackface. Can you imagine that? The the governor, the attorney general, uh, they know they got in their closet the fact that somewhere in the archives they were mimicking black people. Now, not, not quite frankly, all of the brouhaha around that, for me, is completely overworked. And be honest with you, because I remember back even, you know, 20 years ago, 30, maybe certainly uh, 35 or 40 years ago. It was common for actors and comedians and others to wear blackface, even in their um, mimicking black people uh, uh, just out of humor and out of comedy. So what do I have to say about it? Our political climate is hanging people out of identity politics just because it's, it's expedient and advantageous for their own groups. That means that Caucasian people got to be careful to go clean up all that stuff, particularly if you're going to run for politics. These guys are having to, as it were, you know, bend over backwards to say, I'm sorry, I should have never done it and all of this. And, and you know they don't mean it. Well, this is what I would say. The blackface issue can be viewed as offensive if you if you want it to be. If you're always upset with white folks over everything they've done in the past 500 years ago, okay, but that's not going to advance your cause. And remember what we used to hear said frequently? Emulation is the highest form of honor. Didn't somebody make that up one time? Well, here are three sub points that I fundamentally want to share with that. Don't oversell. Don't oversell this whole issue of blackface and what people did in the past that may have have uh, had extremely uh, racist or discriminatory connotations, particularly you folks who love to be identified with politics. Be very careful. It's like the flopping that goes on in the NBA. Have you ever seen that? Where uh, before the camera slows it down, it looks like the guy got elbowed. But once you get the camera to slow down and zoom in, the man, the offensive player's elbow was like three feet away from the guy's face. 
When he made the move, it took the guy about a second and a half to flop on the ground, kind of like the old Chinese movies. Remember that? When they used to kick and the guy wouldn't move for about a second and a half, and then all of a sudden he fell all over the place and the string that had him in the back took him and flew him across the room and hit the wall. Now you're laughing, right? But see, I can be called racist for talking about the old Chinese movies. Don't oversell it. Besides, to want to be like Michael Jackson or Prince, uh, as one of them was talking about mimicking Michael Jackson as a white person, first of all, I said emulation is the highest form of what? And secondly, all of all, I mean, you know, blackface for Michael Jackson or Prince? Both of those brothers were like 50 shades of gray, remember? So, I mean, so, so we need to be careful not to... Here is the here's the issue that I want to share with you. Be careful about trigger terms and trigger phrases and and trigger politics, because that's the way they get you excited about stuff you don't know or not clear on. Now, it is offensive in some contexts for folks to mimic black people, particularly the one where the Ku Klux Klanman is in the picture with him, too. See, this is the the, this is the governor of Virginia. He's in heat. And the attorney general is, too. But but the governor's in real heat because he was hanging out with the Ku Klux Klansman, one of those two. And and, 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 and admittedly, the Democratic Party, because these are all three Democrats. When I come back, I'm going to talk about the black guy and how uh, the, what's good for the goose is good for the gander has come back uh, on the Democrats as it was on the Republicans when they wanted to just hang Kavanaugh for the same thing, same accusations. Um, it is offensive in some contexts, the uh, the black face. But but again, uh, it becomes uh, a bone to pick. And now you have to pretend you're very, very sorry and repentant and ready to make amends. You see it in the uh, I'm sorry. That was the worst thing in the world I could have ever done. But you're going to still lose your job because this is really about political identity groups and parties and, 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 and identity politics that just wants to rearrange everything under the rubric of social justice. Yep. It's two things today that a man has to be careful of and a white man has to be careful of, and that is racism and uh, sexual scandals. Although our president has proved that you can beat them both, this is the Monday edition of Lifeline, one 367 I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I'll take your phone calls on this Monday edition of Lifeline with your host, Jesse Giston. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. The time, 547 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. While I was making my opening comments about what's going on in Virginia, um, Uh, The basic uh, reason for which I'm bringing that article to you uh, is because we are constantly always bumping up against the the political agendas of our world, against the media that basically is the uh, orifice for and and voice for uh, the political debates, political arguments, political machinery that goes on in our society. And and, uh, Americans are largely affected by it. Uh, whether you think so or not. And because uh, I have the privilege of being able to talk with you over the air, I I, I render my opinion. And uh, I really do try to help the Christian, help the believer understand how important it is to be objective about what I have called for years the most diabolical institution in the world, and that is politics. It's just diabolical. It operates out of a dialectical process 
that swings back and forth like a perilous pendulum between pro and con, left and right, Democrat, Republican, conservative and liberal. And very seldom does it ever land in the middle where some on both sides are right for the good of the American people. It always keeps you at odds with the other side. And the other side can't always be wrong. The other side can't always be wrong. But see, when you are identified with party politics, the other side has to always be wrong. Because otherwise, we don't need politicians. If we could all just agree upon things that are centrally and objectively and verifiably right. But we like to make issues out of virtually everything. Now, the church ends up being wrapped up in this dialectical process, too. We never, ever come to the knowledge of the truth. But here we go. The, the, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I was a question that I raised. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Oh, colloquial saying that I I want somebody to answer here. But before I do, let me just go ahead on and read this. There are four, five, six, seven. You can find them anytime. Just pull up Virginia and scandal with the leadership is all over, all over the place. Crisis in Virginia. Scandal sweeps up three Virginia officials. Here's another one. Uh, Democrats are speechless. As scandal engulfs Virginia's leaders. Now, let me just give you a little bit of more of a formal, uh, detailed expression of what's going on. Uh, This here is from the Associated Press. The political crisis in Virginia exploded Wednesday when the state's attorney general confessed to putting on blackface in the 80s. Hundreds of years ago, he getting ready to lose his job. And a woman went public with detailed allegations. Watch this now of sexual assault against the lieutenant governor. Now, that's a brother. The lieutenant governor is a brother, and he's getting hit just like Kavanaugh did. Okay? Okay? He actually got two women that's coming after him furiously over what he did in his early days in politics and what he did at Duke University. With Governor Ralph Northam's career already hanging by a thread over a racist photo in 1984, uh, a medical school yearbook, the day's developments threatened to take down all three of the Virginia top elected officials, uh, all of them Democrats. The twin blows began with Attorney General Mark Herring issuing a statement saying that he wore brown makeup and a wig in 1980 to look like a rapper during a party as a 19-year-old student at the University of Virginia. Oh, you couldn't do that. You, you got to lose your job, your, your welfare, your life. You can't do that. Not in politics. Probably not even in the church. That's the unpardonable sin, sir. You've got to go. Herring... <clears throat> who has been among those calling on on Northam to resign, said he was deeply, deeply sorry. That's crazy. Here the Attorney General, uh, Mark Herring, was calling on Northam to resign when somebody pulled up and said, hey, hey, remember, you did this too. Isn't that crazy? He was deeply, deeply sorry for the pain that he caused with this revelation. He said that in the days ahead, honest conversations and discussions will make it clear whether I can or should continue to serve as Attorney General. Then, within hours, Vanessa Tyson, the woman whose sexual assault allegations against Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax, this is the African-American Lieutenant Governor, surfaced earlier this week, issued a detailed statement saying Fairfax forced her to perform OS, if y'all got any little children around, on him in a hotel room 2004 during the Democratic National Convention in Boston. Boy, they had a party that night, didn't they? But these are two black people now. Not not Kavanaugh, 
and not not a white sister Ford, but two black people. Tyson, a 42-year-old po- uh, political science uh, major who is on a fellowship at Stanford University and specializes in political discourse of sexual assault, said she was not motivated by politics to come forward writing, I am a proud Democrat. Now, see, there you go. This is what I meant by the what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Because the basic concern for the Democrats right now is that they've got three leading politicians in Virginia that if they all end up losing their job, the goal of winning the majority in the House and the Senate becomes even more difficult for them. What do you do? Does your political expediency and and desire to uh, maintain power of the House and Senate cause you to override a moral, ethical, absolutely necessary judgment in a public context like this? And then it gets even stranger because in reality, ladies and gentlemen, for me, this is where uh, the whole thing is problematic. Uh, Right now, we're dealing with what is called intersectional identity politics. And all of this is mixed up in the same bag. Intersectional identity politics has to turn in on itself, being intrinsically divided through conflicting self-interest. The Black Caucus is ready for the two white dudes to be stepped down, but they're being very careful about Justin Fairfax because he's black. But they can't be too careful about that because the real issue, as identity politics puts it, and intersectional politics to boot, is that, you know, he 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 forced himself on two women, not just one, two. And they're both coming out, black women coming out at him hard. So you notice what's going on. Vanessa Tyson is a specialist in the field of politics and rape. The lieutenant governor of Fairfax is an African-American. By the way, so is she. He's an African-American male. She's an African-American female. He's a politician. She's a professor. But they're both Democrats. You see what's going on here? Because of intersectional politics, you have to at some point now turn in on yourself and go to war with each other. Because all of these matters are very important on an ethical, moral level. And you won't be hearing a whole lot from Democrats like you did concerning Kavanaugh. Why? Because the pendulum swings left and right. I'm not interested in that pendulum. I'm interested in the word of God prevailing everywhere in our culture. I want to know what goes on in politics. I want to understand what politics, uh, how politics works. I want to keep myself clear enough to where I vote. And if I don't want to vote, I won't vote. If I think that they're just a couple of big time wrestlers that's going to get in the ring and appear to be fighting, but afterwards going to go to the bar and have a couple of drinks, then uh, I'll just keep preaching the gospel and and uh, uh, seeking to sow the good seed of truth in the hearts of men and women so that we can uh, make our way through this world, telling men and women that the only real physician for the six souls of humanity in America is Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you're not careful, your politics will lead you to abandon the gospel of the grace of God for uh, for politics. Let me go to line number two before I shut it down for this hour and talk with Venus in Hayward. Venus, are you there? I am here, Pastor Jeff. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. Now, I got a question I raised at the beginning of the hour. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Now, here's the question. Uh, Well, I'm going to make it two for you. What does that mean as a colloquialism, and what is a gander? 
you know your um your words are I'm learning I'm learning all your words. I got a whole list of words to define. Uh huh. <laughs> I only need a few. Okay, you, okay. You know we're in school, girl. I'm 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 the professor. We're in school today. I know. I, I, I think you should be teaching in college, uh a theology class. You're you're just that good. You're that great. So, um Whatever is good for the goose, good for the gander. I, I'm listening to you, and I'm just this word just keeps coming to me, and I and I don't know what, if it has to, if it fits in with the question, but I keep getting integrity. Yeah, you've been talking about integrity. Yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah, and you know if it's you know good for the goose, good for the gander. But if we could just get back to integrity, mm-hmm. you've been talking about on your last on my last few visits to your church, and. And about pressing, yeah. so pressing in. Yeah. Are we paying attention? Are we pressing to our full potential? Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, that's a you know a saying that's been around for a long time. But I'm just kind of integrity. That's all that I'm getting is integrity here. Now, when when We're that not- when that phrase was used, it was actually mm-hmm. it was actually a, um, a a term that actually had to do with with with, with cooking. And I'll, I'll just just use, I'll say part of it, and I'll let somebody else answer the other part. It's the sauce that goes on the goose. It's the sauce that goes on the goose to flavor the goose in a kind of saucy um, uh, meal. And uh, so, well, I guess one of the cooks came up. What's good for the goose is also good for the gander. But I'm yeah. not go- I'm not going to take that away. Here is here is the meaning. Um, what's good for you is good for me, or what's good for her is good for him. And it's the fundamental principle that we really should do unto others as others do unto us. That's where your integrity factor comes in. Got it. Here's another aspect of it. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And again, that's the integrity factor. Uh-huh. That's the integrity factor. So why did you call? Well, I was just listening and, um, you know, just listening to you talk about the black faith and just how we're dealing in today's society, and especially like in California, you were just talking about if you're coming to California, you better be ready because there's a lot of things that are transforming and changing that yep. have changed. Yep, yep, tons. And, and, and by like the, you said, it's not to live here. It's not cheap. It's not inexpensive. Not it's only that. Not only that, but as you know, you know, I, I watched that, you know, I watched that, um, that the, the clip on um, all of those representatives speaking up on the um, on taking advantage of our elderly in the area of uh, confiscating their wealth. You know, I watched that. Right. Oh, good. It was very Thanks. good. It was very good. It was very good. I, I'm looking forward to our conversation around that and conservatorship okay. being a, a scam that, uh, I mean, it's, it's just really sad that that reality is going on. And, 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 and that will also speak to my topic today in terms of integrity and what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Only on this level, Venus, is that um, when the Bible says to us to honor our mother and our father or honor our parents and the Lord, there is on God's part an, an intentionality that parents sow into their children good seed so that the yeah. children can sow back into their parents uh, good fruit in the end of their life. 
Uh, God means yeah. God very much means for us to have a kind of cyclical relationship where we as parents sow into our children uh, good seed and we can expect then the outcome of them responding to us by honoring us in our old age. That's what God would want. But if we're not sowing into them the word of God, we will not be able to see the outcome of good fruit in their life, particularly in a country where uh, institutions and uh, uh, formal, structural, uh, intrinsic inequities are operating to take away from us our rights and our wealth. Uh, and and yeah. that, go on. Are you there? Oh, no, I was just, uh, yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I was just saying exactly. And I just wanted to say that we are making changes. Like today, we just had some extraordinary meetings today with people who are in judicial positions presiding judges. Yep. These are the people that are public servants that have to be held accountable when we the people are suffering. Yep. And so there will be some changes in Alameda County. It's already, you know, in the works. happening right it's in the works, yes. Right. That's the integrity that has to take place when you are a taxpaying uh, citizen and uh, you come to experience things that are going on uh, at, at the level of politics and you realize, whoa, this is a mess. And, and when I got a chance to watch that interview and that, 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 that series of uh, discussions by the several uh, uh, politically interested parties, I, I, I thought, okay, they're well on their way. That, that's a good start. Next thing you know, it'll be in the media on a larger level, and then uh, we will be able to have a fuller discourse on that particular atrocity. Yes. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm going to let you go. I got to take a hard okay. break. I'm hearing them say it. I got to take a hard break. Thank you for the call, sis. Deborah, Keith, and Ty, y'all hold on. Uh, I'll chat with you on the other side of the break. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. What's good for the goose? It's good for the gander. Somebody tell me what a gander is, please. I'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 